Hi Slip Angle listeners, this is Rob from Fields Auto Works and Fields Engineering. We're really excited to be supporting great content on Slip Angle, and we hope you'll find your way over to our social media pages to see some of the exciting work that we're doing. Fields Auto Works has Cardinal Coupes being delivered and Scioto Coupes in build for testing this summer, with more exciting models on the near horizon. If you're ready for supercar performance for under $70,000 or professional prototype speed for under $150,000, stop by FieldsAutoWorks.com to see what we offer. At Fields Engineering, we have openings for major builds, arrive and drive customers, and medium to large engineering projects. We have capabilities ranging from whole composite body scratch builds to 3D scanning and printing to trackside support. We're also thrilled to be supporting regular guy racing with Colton Wade driving in GLTC and the exciting new Future Frontrunners initiative to promote women in club racing. As a Fields customer, you get the combined experience of IndyCar builders, IMSA veterans, aerospace engineers, and lifetime racers working on your next big endeavor. If that sounds like a team you're interested in working with every day, you can also contact us about our open shop positions. Find Fields Auto Works on social media and at fieldsautoworks.com, and find Fields Engineering on Facebook and Instagram. Thanks for listening. Hey man, you're sounding really good. Nebraska's uh, boring. It's also following boring ass Iowa, but I'm going to uh, going to going to Alpine, so I'm in a good mood. What's your uh, what's your cruising speed? Um, we've hit a terminal velocity of 80 miles an hour. Terminal's 80, huh? Yeah, I mean basically, unless I'm going real downhill. Right now we're going 72. Um, yeah, I can. I can. I've gotten over eighty going downhill, but uh, the current, with the current throttle linkage on this thing, uh, it leaves a little bit of wide open throttle on the table. So, you told me, um, um, what a couple of weeks ago that you were going to be working on the fuel pump setup on the bus. Yeah, the the, the diesel injection pump. Yeah. Did you um, do that? So I started tearing it all apart, and then I was starting to compare the new one to the old one. And the only reason I didn't do it is a couple of the lines were in different spots, uh, which I can I can have new lines made. That's not a big deal. But the, the throw on my current one on, like, the throttle lever, they have, like, the same throttle lever. The throw on the top of the lever is about three-quarters of an inch or an inch on my current one, and it's, like, a quarter of an inch on the, on the new one. So I'm, like, wondering if something is broken internally. So I didn't swap it. I might, uh, I might just pull it and bring them both to a local pump shop and say, Hey, what do you, can you make one pump out of these pumps? But, uh, there you go. Uh, unless I do it over winter and then swap it in and like, just see if it fucking works. I don't know. But yeah, you're, you should be in a position, uh, in your life, given how busy you are, that sometimes paying a person is okay. No, not here. <laughs> no, no, it is Okay. <laughs> And no, it is. The, but the reason is, it's okay is because you can make more money by just working an extra hour than you could saving money by fixing the pump. This is like, uh, this is not a uh, job that you can just find a mechanic to probably do nowadays, though. That's the only problem. So, 
a lot of diesel shops don't work on this old stuff anymore. I send uh, all my jobs to a meal tab. Yeah, I don't think a meal wants to change P pumps on a on eight point three Cummins in a bus. Maybe. And based on your bus repair bills, I don't think I can make enough in hours to pay someone to do bus repair. Speaking of that, uh, I no longer own the bus. It is nope. free, clear, off my plate. I don't regret having purchased it at all. But uh, the way our schedules worked out this year and the distance that the Gridlife events were away from my home made it almost right. impossible, especially given that diesel was $6 a gallon. Yeah, uh, that's a that's a bummer. Can you tell the story about trying to get the title swapped into the new buyer's name? Oh man, uh, where do I begin? <laughs> so Kentucky. Uh, I I've complained about Kentucky. Um, it's it's like the the county clerk office is like the DMV, or if you're in Illinois, like the Secretary of State. Um, right. So getting the bus registered was really challenging because you need an inspection sticker from uh, like a, a sheriff, uh, which is sometimes common when you register a new vehicle in a new state. Um, right. But also for a motorhome, you need to um, have a fire marshal inspection of the home part. And uh, that was really kind of a big nuisance and it took a long time. And where I live- That's in so weird. I live in Jefferson County, which is in uh, which is where the city of Louisville is. Um, and when I called the the hotline to get such an inspection from the file marshal, no right. one called me back. They just like yeah. never did. But no, because the, fires, man. <laughs> because the uh, the bus was stored in a different county, I called that. Um, and this is more like a country type county. Um, and I called them and like the guy met me out where it was stored and we did the inspection and we talked about grid life and he talked about like uh, super foreign, uh, super performance Cobras and all kinds of cool stuff, actually. That's kind of fun. So that was fun. And it took uh, I think it's true that when we moved here to register the vehicles, which included the bus, I spent about 40 hours. That's so insane. Working on tasks to register vehicles. Yeah. And we're not talking like 10 vehicles. We're talking like what? Four, Th three, because Ashley's, uh, Ashley's van is in her name. I'm not on it at all. Um, okay. so like I had no part in that and to sell a vehicle in Kentucky is also complicated. And the reason it's complicated is because when you sign a title over uh, it's it's complicated for a bunch of reasons. When you sign a title over, that signature has to be notarized, which means yeah. primarily that you either need to know a notary or uh, do a title transfer during business hours, which is annoying, or do it at the DMV. And uh, we went to the, the DMV, and I had... Um, a loan payoff letter because the bus still had a loan on it. We went to the DMV. The the buyer and I both met there and uh, we go to the counter and the lady was like, uh, I, I had only had like from my bank a payoff letter that said the lien was released. So that was a prerequisite to doing a title transfer is they need to remove the lien from the title. Obviously, and yep. I said, well, I've got a, um, I've got a, 
digital copy. It's on my phone. It says that the lien's been released. And the lady was like, nah, we need an original copy. It needs to be the paper printout. And I was like, okay. And so I called the bank. We, we left and I apologized to the buyer. And I called the bank and I was like, hey, uh, I got this payoff letter. Um, you guys are probably going to mail me one. Uh, is it just a printout of the thing that I have in my inbox? And the lady was like, yeah. So <laughs> yeah, um, I call the guy and I say, hey, like, let's let's try a different branch. Um, maybe I can just print this out at home and we can go and get this taken care of. And so we get there and I find out that uh, a, a conventional loan payoff letter is not all that you need in the state of Kentucky. You need a signed original copy of a Kentucky form to release a loan. And the Kentucky form yeah. is available on the website and it cannot be, uh, it, it cannot be scanned in. It has to either be faxed or it has to be uh, mailed in. And the reason this got really goofy was because the first lady who told me that I needed this special form, which my bank didn't know about, um, they said you your can bank is in Kentucky, right? No, my bank's in Michigan. Oh, okay. Um, and gotcha. so uh, that, that explains a little bit of the rest of the story. <laughs> well, um, the oh, shit, I lost my train of thought. So it's I, just so convoluted. I, I called the bank and I was like, Hey, I, I need this special form. Here's the form number. You can get it on their website. I need you to fill this out and I need you to fax it to the branch. I'm at the branch now with the buyer and I just want to get this title transferred. And I gave them the fax number that the branch gave to me. And uh, I then send it in and we get confirmation that everything went through. And yep. uh, I go back up to the counter after having been there now for probably like 45 minutes trying to get this sorted out. And I get to the counter and I talk to the lady again and she's like, mm -mm, you can't, you can't fax it to the branch. You have to send it to the special titling office that's somewhere else. And I was like, oh, okay. What's, <laughs> what's that number? And so yeah. I have to call my bank again, give them a different fax number and say, Hey, can you fax this to this place? They won't accept it. And, uh, we sent it in and they wouldn't accept it. And we get on the phone with the titling office and they say, Mm -mm. Your 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 loan release form needs to have a specific cover page, and the cover page needs to have your business name, uh, you the sender, the mailing address, uh, the current date and time, and a bunch of other details. <laughs> and I was like, okay. Uh, and the the lady, we're doing like a conference call with the bank, and the lady was right. like, this is insane. What is, what is going on? And then we the send the bank lady. Is. We, we send it and the lady gets it on the other end. She has all the paperwork. Right. We're still on the conference call. And she said, mm -mm, the, the state of Kentucky has specific requirements on the, the digital transmission receipt that the fax machine prints on the, the receipt paper. Oh and gosh. it needs to say the business name and the address and the phone number and all this other nonsense. And the, my bank person was like, so wait, you're telling me that the state of Kentucky is requiring that I reprogram our business fax machine system 
to accommodate your specific requests. And yes, the lady, absolutely. She's the lady telling was you that. like, yes, that's, that's the case. <laughs> and so I said, okay, I've, I've now spent like three hours at the DMV. And I was like, I give up. I don't have time for this. I talked to the bank and I said, please just overnight to me this form. And it's, it's just a printout of something that's online and it's signed by a person. And that was on Friday. On Monday, it arrives. And I go to the DMV with that sheet of paper. And they were like, okay, good. And uh, I took care of all my stuff. And then I just gave the title to the guy um, at a separate time. So I didn't try and meet him because I wasn't going to uh, try to meet up with him until I knew all of my stuff was done. Oh, what a nightmare, man. And what, what is crazy to me is uh, two things. All of this problem was, uh, it, it disappeared when I had a sheet of paper that was an original sheet that was signed by a person in pen. Now I right. can buy a house on digital signatures. I can buy a house, yep. but buying and selling an automobile that could be worth like a hundred dollars is a thing yep. that I need an original paper copy of. Yep. Um, the other thing that was crazy was so intense. Um, there was, there was another detail that was like really important. Um, the, the cover letter receipt style that the fax machine would have to be programmed to do. When you told me that a couple weeks ago, I was like, there's no, you are making this. <laughs> no, no, that was the thing. Um, yeah. It, it's insanity. It was pretty wild. Oh, also, I try to get all my ducks in a row in advance for stuff like this because I tend to not want to take time out of my workday to go Obviously. do this. I don't want to waste time. Um, there is not one single reference anywhere on the Kentucky or the county website that says this is the form that must be filled out and it must be original in order to release a lien. Right. Now, I know that now, but I didn't two weeks ago because I'm not from here. Nope. That's wild, man. So, yeah, that was that's how things are going. But I don't, my... I don't own a bus anymore, so. No, no, no buses right now. You want to hear my current complaints about Nebraska? Uh, it's uh, stormy. Is it stormy? No, no, you're just, you're just hearing a loud old bus. Uh, I don't hear anything bus... in the background, actually. My bus isn't fancy like yours. You should have uh, bought my bus. No, I don't have the money for that, man. I don't want to. I hate loans so much, dude. I hate them. Um, I'm going down the highway on I-80, I-80, just outside of Omaha. And it seems like they're slowly converting. As they burn out, they're converting the, uh, the, the lights on the highway to, like, LED. Okay. And they're, like, purple. They're, like, really purpley purple, too. Okay. It's terrible looking. It looks really janky oh so, <laughs> so they're, like they're not the sodium lights lamps is... anymore they're the uh yeah okay. no one of one out of a hundred is like a purple led it's bizarre hmm. it's very distracting well maybe it's better for hearing or not I don't hearing, know. Get your, for seeing get your shit together omaha it's yeah. weird um, um so you are taking the bus and you only have one passenger currently are you towing a dyno no, the dyno's being towed by Carson. I'm towing um, my big flatbed trailer. It's uh, been a while since you took that one to well, an event. What's, what's on the flatbed? I'm si- what's up? Uh, it's been a while since you took that to an event. What's on the flatbed? 
Um, yeah, I haven't towed this thing in years. Uh, it's been just sitting in my building. Um, put some new Maxxis tires on it, too. The M8, MD808s, I think, or whatever. They're the best tires in the world uh, Tra- for trailers. Trailer, trailer tires. <clears throat> but uh, the sports racer is on the flatbed, and it is being sold to a guy in California who's meeting me at the event. So I don't understand just, why you have bought and sold the uh, so the sports so racer bought- twice. I, well, I bought it the first time to play with it, and I played with it for like two years. Um, and then I put the Yamaha motor in, and I played with it. And then I just, all of a sudden, we were doing like 18 events. And I was almost done building my TLTC car, and like, uh, I was getting older, my kids getting older, and like, my ambitions are uh, getting the best of me. So I was like, I need to sell this car. So I sold it. And the dude who uh, sold it to, he's actually driving Time Attack this weekend, Matt Beck, um, from Austin, Texas. Uh, he autocrossed it and put a new motor in, autocrossed it, uh, him and his wife. Uh, and then they had a baby. And he's like, I don't have any time for this car. Um, and he tried to sell it. And it's kind of like a, you know, it's kind of a niche little autocross buyer like that would need to buy it, right? Um, and he, it was like, it was more done than when I sold it to him, but like he put, he put a new roll bar on it, made it like a lot nicer. Um, but it's still like not done, you know, it's still, a, it's a project. And, uh, and I was like, maybe I'll just, he sold it to me for what I sold it to him for blown up, which is insane. Um, so I was like, yeah, I can't just let it see. I can't let it languish. Um, I'll at least try to find its next home and I'll do some work to it. Maybe I'll drive it a couple of times. Um, and so I did that, and I fixed a few more things on it, and then I found its its next buyer, which is a pretty serious national-level autocrosser in California. So um, he's driving out to the event on uh, Saturday and driving the car, and I'm going to drop it off at the track, and then I'm going to go up to the north side of Colorado Springs tomorrow um, and go pick up my pickup truck that I have not picked up yet. Oh, yeah. I bought on, on the government auction, so I'll be telling that home. That's cool. Yeah. So my new project, which that's like a two-year project, in my opinion, or in my mind. Two years. Turn it into my turn it into my next truck, but. Because your uh, yeah. your come and swap forward is uh, on death's door or what? No, it's just old and rusty, and I come and swapped it a decade ago at this point, like over nine years ago. How many and how many thousands of miles? Uh, I don't know. The odometer stopped at about 180 and that was probably 300,000 miles ago. Okay. Um, and, uh, I mean, it's a great truck. I've, I could, I'll probably drive it. I'm not going to sell it. I'll drive it for a long time. Um, but, uh, I want to build like my next truck. I want to build like a nice version of it, but it's quad cab two wheel, two wheel drive, eight foot bed. And I wanted to get a quad cab so that I could like take it on family trips and stuff like that if I want to. So nothing says, um, uh, family trip like quad cab work truck. Well, it's gonna. I'm gonna put a nice interior in it. They have you can buy nice interiors for a couple thousand bucks for these things. So, like all stripped out, brand new looking leather interiors, like eighteen hundred dollars. Jeez, <laughs> out of a wrecked or crash truck. So, um, but yeah, I, I think it'll be. I want to. I want to build it into my last truck, and I want to drive it until I'm sixty years old. So okay, because I've driven my current truck for. 17 years and uh 17 years really yes 17 years and uh i figure if i start fresh with one that's completely not rusty 
and build the truck that I want, I could probably drive it till I'm 60 years old. So. Hey, there you go. And now that I know how to make trucks not rust by like spraying them with oil underneath the fluid film or whatever. Sure. Hot and uh, rust control. Yeah. Take it up to, take it up to Canada. Uh, yeah. Now that I can keep it from rusting, hopefully. And uh, I learned a few things that it'll be like a night, even if I daily in the wintertime, it'll probably be a nice truck in 20 years. Still. So I'm pretty stoked about it. And, and I want to build it into like, I want to keep the automatic transmission. So I'm not rowing the gears all the time for the rest of my life. And oh, I want to sure. make, make the AC blow extra cold and, um, you know, do all the things that I want in, uh, in a truck. So kind of stoked about it. Speaking of, uh, rowing gears, I, uh, between the time that we last recorded and now I formally decided that I am buying an 11th gen type R. What's the difference between the 11th and 10th? Um, the body is different. The styling is more subdued, but, uh, they, I think they improved some chassis stuff. It's, it's better now. I mean, like it was they're, awesome before, but it's better. They're largely the same drivetrain and underpinnings though, right? Yes. Okay. So, um, really looking forward to that. I don't know. I, I called or emailed a couple of dealers and a couple of places got back to me that just said, we're going to charge MSRP plus uh, one place said, you know, their protection package plus whatever. They also right. said, uh, we don't know how many we're going to get and we have no controller over what color we get. So I was like, well, then I'll just wait. Yep. So you might buy one in a year. Yeah, probably. <laughs> and like the fit runs and drives. So there's nothing urgent about it. I yes. just, I just your want fits, one. Your fit's low mileage too, right? It's 93,000 right now. That's low mileage, man. Yeah, dude. Kevin from um, Timing hooked me up. Yeah, he did. He did. It might have been the last great deal in the automotive world. 100%. That thing is worth double what you paid for. Maybe triple. I don't know about triple. No, definitely more than double, I think. Okay. I've been, well, on, I've been offered like 65 for mine. Nuh-uh. Yeah. How, you bought like, yours for 2500 Yeah. It's like doesn't have any rust. It's got It's basically a Sunday cup car now. And I've done a, I've done a bunch of little maintenance work to it, but like, yeah, I could probably sell it for six, but that's dumb. So, um, I learned recently, this is just a bit of uh, side trivia that it's a very Midwestern thing. Uh, if someone ever compliments you on a thing that you own, right. it is customary in the Midwest to say thank you. And then also let them know how good of a deal you got. Yeah, 100%. Uh, and I did not know this, or at least I wasn't paying attention to it, and then I saw it on the internet somewhere, and I was like, no, that's that's absolutely... Because I, I think I've told, like, 50 people that I bought my Fit for $4,000. <laughs> was such a good deal. <laughs> I, 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 and yours is, like, a nice black sport, too, so it's, yeah, like... It's not it's horrible. Like, it's, like, not a piece of shit. Mine's, like, a base model with, like, faded red paint. And I'm, and I'm like, man... Do you, did I tell you what kind of a deal I got? <laughs> <laughs> it's twenty five hundred bucks. Yeah. Uh, um, yeah. The uh, the fits are pretty good little beaters. But, so um, spe- speaking of which, we're uh, once we get to the racetrack, I'll have to tell you because you're going to have to like fill in for me a few th- few times because I have to host a TV show based around Honda Fits. That's so dumb. I, yeah, I'm part of the filming, which is stupid. So. 
Can't, uh, can't, really, dis- can't really disclose more than that. But. Look at me. I'm so famous. No, I'm not famous. Like, I don't even think I'm going to really be on camera, but I got to, like, interview people quick uh, while they while they race on to Fitz against each other. Fitz that we had to buy and prep for this show. So. Really? Yeah. Gridlife owns two. Uh, Gridlife's. The Gridlife Production Company, I guess you'd call it now. It owns a couple of Honda Fets, So Gridlife Production be, Company, that's news. It'll, it'll be fun. I don't, I don't think it's actually a separate company. We just have some Fets. So uh, uh, I'm looking now at the entry list, and I thought that there were more Time Attack drivers that uh, competed at this event than are on this list. Um what what's your list? What's your count in the list right now? Fifty four. Yeah, there's more than that. But that's probably the amount of people that have checked in on Good Life Club. Oh, could be. Yeah. Yeah, I think we're in the like eighty range. We're that's look. A, it's a big event. I think we're we're specifically smaller than years past, just because we are bigger on drift and everybody buys bigger trailers every year. Oh yeah. It's um, dirt bag F one. Yeah, we're definitely smaller on HPDE. Um, for the same reasons so uh yeah that's all on purpose we got we got a lot of freaking drift cars coming though well uh, this is this is like a, a solid count for gltc as well what's what's your what are you at right now 25 yeah i think we're almost 30 which is gonna be kind of nuts i mean that, that's a big event i mean it's not oh yeah it's yeah. not the same as like our event at lime rock but it's it's a long toe for a lot of Midwest and East Coast people. Yeah, and, no, that's a solid number for this this yeah, track. That's like ten more than we've ever had. I think we've had sixteen in the past, maybe. Yeah. Um, it's going to be a wild GLTC race. I'm a little, little, uh, little stoked about it. A little nervous about it, but yeah. Um, the the event's going to be really, really busy. So uh, I have to be drift lead also, which will be uh, cool. You're so always drift Cone, lead. No, I mean like I have to be on the racetrack with me and Cone instead of instead of Swan and Cone, it'll be me and Cone. Oh, so. who's gonna be the flagger? The for drift? Yeah. Well, that's that's gonna be. There's really no flagger for drift. There's the lead guy. They, like you put somebody out on the racetrack and they, it's the there's an we call it drift grid on the back straight. Yeah. And they they stop you. There's no flag out there. Oh, but, but I thought you were like in a corner worker station, like oh, no. doing stuff. Last year, no, that was uh, that was the first year, and then we reconfigured the track a little bit so that's less of a blind spot. Um, so yeah, that was the the first year and the second year. Last year we did not do that. So, so but how did Chris Forsberg almost hit you then? Uh, that was two years ago. Oh, yeah. No, no the, the the track wall is is set up a little differently, so it's not as blind now. Gotcha. And we also push we push the spectators back so they can see over the wall better, <laughs> but likely not get hit by a uh, a wing. Yeah, hopefully not. The the pay. I mean, I got to see it when I get there. But the pavement uh, in the one corner where like Falcon Trailer always is has been like getting worse and worse. So we'll probably have to cone that off. Uh, but. Uh, the drift cars like in the past have blown out some windshields on cars in like the vendor area. Jeez. <laughs> I think Bart from anti-gravity got his back window blown out of his, uh, FJ cruiser. I think, yeah, I remember that. Yeah. That was from, uh, I think from Forsberg or Turk getting up in the, in the rumbles and the, in the rocks. So, um, 
something that I remember hearing about last year, but never heard one way or the other was there's a dip uh, just past turn one, I guess. It's right over top of the tunnel. Yeah. Is, is it still there? Oh yeah. Oh yeah. And it's just as violent as it was. It's not that violent, but it's definitely there. I guess it depends on how fast you're going. I was riding with Moss. It kind of depends on how low your car is, too. Um, When I was riding with Alex and Jackie a couple of years ago, it was significant. Oh, yeah. It's not, not, I mean, it's one of them things you have to set up the car to do the dip. You got to, like, give yourself some ride height. Uh, You got to hit the dip straight, you know, like. Yeah. The dip is a part of the racetrack. Gotcha. Yeah, it's gonna need like a it needs like a full repave there, but like repaving the bank, I guess is is more it's more involved than you think. So gotcha. Yeah. So who knows if it'll happen? Right. Part part of the racetrack. It's just part of the racetrack. Uh, where where are you sleeping this weekend? Uh, I was told that I have a spot in a travel trailer somewhere. Okay, I didn't know if you were in mine or if you're in another one. So I have no, um, I have no room assignments beyond that. Yeah, well, you should be on an email chain with room assignments, but um, if that came Dan through, De- I missed it. Uh, well, it should be there somewhere. But Dan DeVries is flying out and I've got all of his stuff on the back of my trailer. So I promised him at least floor space. Nice. Um, um, and, uh, and Ben, who's riding with me, uh, might get uh, floor space or couch space as well. So gotcha. Um, couldn't, couldn't remember if I had told you that you had spot or not. <laughs> uh, no, but does does that mean Dan's cooking? Is Dan cooking uh, anything? He sent a Blackstone grill and a propane tank with Hell me. Hell so. yes. <laughs> yeah. yeah. We got a bicycle. We got a Blackstone. We got a propane grill and a cooler full of uh, things to make food with, so. So, I'm gonna set him up. I'm gonna set him up right next to my trailer. Can I um can I share a story with you that you probably never heard, but also with anyone who's listening? This sure. was now what feels like a million years ago. This was in 2017. That's a and, long, that's a lot of lifetimes ago. Um that was my first year working as grid life staff at a Midwest festival. Now, right. like at that time, the event was gigantic, but it's still not as like it wasn't as uh, organized, structured, and organized and polished as it is today. And and it still has room to grow. Oh yeah, like a lot. Um, but someone I don't remember who told me that uh, you know there were there was food in this case burritos for staff. Uh, available. And I was like, Oh, okay. And I didn't know Dan and I didn't know anyone else besides like you. And the team was small, really, really small at that time. So like in, in that year, probably the team was you, me, Chris Cone. Um, I don't even know if Sean was around. Swan was no, probably there. Uh, but like track team was, uh, your sister or your, your sister-in-law and your brother. Yeah. And, and that was timing. like it. And we so, had like two or three volunteers sort of in grid. I think Scott and Renee might've came that year for the first time. 
so. maybe, but I don't remember. They weren't working, I don't think, because we didn't. I, I think that might have been the first year that they actually came up to work the event, but it might have been 2018 also. I'm not sure. Um, I think it was 20. I think it was 2017. So like, like a dipshit, I walk up to the snack bar at uh, eight and a half. Yeah. And I was like, hey, I heard you have uh, food for staff. And they looked at me like, who the fuck are you? <laughs> and I yeah, just like people to ask. I just had to like Homer Simpson back away into the bushes because like no one knew what the fuck I was talking about. And then yeah. later I learned that Dan makes food. Yep. Dan uh Dan was he's been like coming to Hanumit since like two thousand four, maybe five. And uh yeah, he was an old EF buddy. I actually dated his sister for a long time and or for a while in high school. Um uh, and he just like started like he kept showing up and started making food. He's a really good cook. He's a really good cook. Yeah, For his, the past his couple of years, I think the past couple of years he's done the the food prep for Honda Meat. So Honda Meat on Saturday does a like call it a catered yep. type event where it, yeah, it's, it's like, food service for three hundred people. Yep, and Dan does it basically all himself. Yeah, it's nuts. He's an animal. Um. Yeah, and if you ever see the dude in, at Midwest Festival gripping up and down in like a Briggs and Stratton powered like pit bike, pit bike mini motorcycle thing with a with, cooler on the front with of a it, cooler lunchbox on the front. There are that, burritos in there. Yeah, don't eat our burritos. Those are our burritos. <laughs> <laughs> Sometimes there's hot dogs. Um, he can make a mean burger. Uh, he made uh, like a pastrami sandwich at Midwest this year, and I like. I, I had just eaten, but I was like, just let me taste that pastrami. Just, just a little. Just give me a little bit. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's, uh, it's pretty fun. So, um, yeah, he's flying out. He's, he was excited. He just, he says he's, you know, he's always wanted to go to Colorado never has obviously. And he got time off of work. He's a, he's a nurse, like a cardiac unit in, uh, in Indiana and, uh, got time off of work, but he didn't have the time to drive. So, yeah. Yeah. I, I understand the not having time to drive. I think after our events are done this year, um, I have like one or two vacation days available for the rest of the year. I don't even know what a vacation day is. Well, yeah, you run your own business. So like you just, you do well, whatever do you, do you have get to paid do. On, do you get paid over those? Yeah. See, I go on these, on these, uh, big, long week, long events. Right. And, uh, I, I just drive my other business into the ground while I do it. You know what you should do is sell a transmission. I sold a transmission last week for how to much? a listener, to a listener for a good amount of money. But I mean, I've got double that into it. It's my, it's my backup baller one. But uh, yeah, sold it to a listener down in Tennessee. You didn't tell me that part. You didn't tell me that you lost your ass on a transmission. Now, well, I mean, if I told you, I don't want to like say what I, but it's like over a G, you know, like it's worth, a, you pay somebody to build a Honda race transmission, you get 2,200 bucks into it now, right? Sure. Um, and I uh, sold it for like, you know, a decent amount of money, but it's got all the good bits in it too. It's got really hard to find two, three, or three, four, five. It's got a hard to find final drive 4.0. And well, that's uh, definitely which, what you want in a transmission is hard to find parts. Well, they're in, in a car like like what he's building. It's fine. He's building an autocross car, but, and it's got a, a WPC coated uh, M factory plate diff, extra lockup on uh, acceleration. It's pretty rad. So, um, 
But yep, sold my fancy fancy transmission so I can buy truck parts for my new truck. <laughs> but Blake, uh, our buddy in, in Georgia, Blake Meredith, he he had built this um, this really clean, like old lady driven EF four door sedan, uh, like as a streetcar slash autocross car. Um, and then he was like, yeah, I'm going to buy a real autocross car. And he ended up buying Scott and Renee. Uh, they have this crazy first-gen CRX that I think Blake helped build years ago. Um, it's some kind of production or prod car, whatever they call it, for prepared, I forget, for autocross. Uh, and it's like a it's a bad mamma jamma for whatever the class it's in. Um, and so he bought that and sold this car to uh, this guy, Cameron. And he sold it with a stock transmission. Um and he told Cameron to contact me, and so we made a deal on, on my pimp transmission. But, nice. Uh, I was building a box for it the other day. I didn't have time to ship it up before I left, but uh, so I found this double-layer cardboard box, and then I like lined the inside of it with high-density uh, insulating foam, like two-inch foam, you know. Sure. Um, and then I laid a bed of expanding foam and let it like mostly expand, and put the, the trans in a, a garbage bag, set it down into the expanding foam, which is holding all these foam blocks in place, and then backfilled uh, like 10 rounds of like, you put a big chunk of foam in and then you like insulate expanding foam it in place. Sure, yeah. Um, I built like, a, a, he's going to have to hit this thing with like a sledgehammer to get all this foam out. <laughs> I bet he'll gonna love be that. Ter- it's going to be, it's going to be like a, the longest Christmas present opening ever. So yeah. Um, a lot of foam, a lot of foam. I want to tell you about a basement project that I have in my house. This is okay. not related to cars. Um, my garage is small, so I wanted to put some workspace in the basement to put like all of the tools that don't pertain to a car, put all those in the house instead of in the garage so that I can save as much floor space as possible. Um, and I'm putting a workbench down there and... Uh, progress is really, really slow because I'm doing something that I've never done before, which is trying to use threaded rod to uh, suspend all of this stuff from the ceiling instead of have it standing uh, on the floor. Uh, Partially because uh, I want the experience of having done it and um, the foundation of the house, like the walls are concrete. And so like, uh, at least where I'm putting this uh, workbench, like I can't just screw into a stud. I mean, like you could yeah, screw it into concrete, but I don't want to do that. Yeah, that just sucks. Um, How are you hanging the threaded rod off of the ceiling, off the ceiling joists? So what I did is I, um, or floor joists. The, uh, let's see the, let's say, forgive the directions. They're not accurate, but like, let's say for a second that the floor joist runs North South uh, yep. I put a two by two across all of them end to end, uh, east west. And so, what I then do is I uh, drill a three eighths hole through that two by two, and put a nut and washer on the backside. And I still don't know why you use two by two. You're crazy. Uh, because <laughs> I wanted to save as much space as I could. But you're like on the ceiling. You don't need to save that space. Well, fine. But like two by fours is more expensive than two by twos. So yeah, I get that. And I bought a whole bunch of them. So anyway, um, what I did want to say is working with threaded rod is cool, except for uh, the way 
I'm putting my shelves up, you basically drill a three-eighths hole through your shelf and through the the um, the structural bits underneath. So I'm the, any given shelf is half-inch uh, plywood, and then there is uh, a structural frame underneath it. In this case, it's either two by four or two by two. But you basically drill a three-eighths hole all the way through it, and then you use a nut and washer on the top of that shelf and on the bottom of that shelf to cinch yeah. it into place onto the threaded rod, which yeah. is like a pretty simple design. And it gives a lot of uh, fine tuning ability to make sure that the shelves are level. The thing that sucks about working with threaded rod is if you have a six foot threaded rod and oh you need to run a nut uh, five and a half feet from the bottom, it, yeah. it's a lot of spinning. Oh yeah, that's and a lot. I want. Uh, I'm not sponsored by, but I do want to plug the Nut Boss. The Nut Boss. The Nut Boss. I think the, that's a porno. <laughs> uh, the Nut Boss is a a bit um, for your drill that looks a bit like a butt plug, um, <laughs> but I don't. I don't know if we should talk about this. <laughs> uh, but the Nut Boss is like a rubber. Uh, I call it like a, I mean, it's a, it's a kind of a cone shaped bit uh, right. that you put into your drill and you and use you just, it, like, it just hold it up against the nut, you touch it against the nut and it just runs up the threaded rod. It's amazing. It's kind of cool. Uh, the nut boss was $20, which I thought was quite expensive given how it's kind of like constructed, but it works like a damn charm. It's crazy. And, and, and now you got a butt plug too, right? Yeah. So. Another. Nice. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, I'm not judging, dude. We're doing you, baby. But I, but I thought the name Nut Boss was pretty funny. That's uh, yeah, it's a good one. It's a good name. But I did use it tonight, and it worked awesome. So if you're if you're listening to the show and you're wanting to build some shelves and you want to do it out of threaded rod, um, you should because uh, a two by four, at least right now, is almost five dollars here in Louisville, plus or minus. Yeah. And what's a, a what's a giant chunk of all thread? Uh, threaded rod. I bought six foot sections at Lowe's only because I didn't see any longer ones. Yeah. Um, the six foot sections are like six dollars. Really? Yeah. That's actually pretty reasonable. I would imagine it would double that. Yeah. Um, so, like, I want to do this part of this project out in the garage where I use Unistrut as well instead of two by four. Um, right. But we'll see. Unistrut is just so much more expensive than wood that I don't know if I will. It's pretty cool, though. It is really cool. My brother-in-law's company makes it. Really? Yeah, up uh, up by us. Uh, he also makes conduit. They got an order for Unistrut for the new, uh, for the new like, like chip factory out in Ohio or whatever that I think Intel or somebody's building. Okay. Um, that was two hundred million dollars in Unistrut. That's a lot of strut. That's a lot of Unistrut. But yeah, like pretty, the, pretty the carrying weight of Unistrut suspended on threaded rod is like a, a bajillion pounds. So yeah, it's it was very just strong. something um, because I want to save floor space in the garage. I want to hang everything from the ceiling. And is your uh, is there is your ceiling finished in the garage? Yes. Yeah. So the only thing that kind of sucks about it is I'm. I'm trying to decide the most intelligent way to anchor it to the ceiling. Um, yeah. I have seen YouTube videos of people putting four by fours in the attic and yeah. just like drilling all the way through it and using the nut washer technique that I did here. 
Um, yep. But you could also just like use anchors and secure it to the joist without going through the ceiling. Um, yeah, I'd probably I'd probably go through it. Not not it up top. Yeah, then you got to get up in the attic, and there's like it's true. Maybe you know, that's not a, maybe that's not fun. A bunch of inches of uh, blown in insulation up there. So oh, well then screw that. Never mind. Yeah. So, and then it's probably down by the eave too, so you can't even get there. Yeah. So. Ah uh, uh, man. There you go. Hard, difficult, painful. Yeah, but yeah. So those are the projects I'm working on. I make almost no project uh, progress per day because I, I like have to think through it because I'm I'm not good at building things. Like, <laughs> uh, I won't not say bad, that, I won't say that I'm bad. I won't say I will say that I'm not quick because I have to think I th- about it. I think I love I love random phone calls from Abe where we just talk about uh, how to build shelves and stuff. I have built shelves now in three of four of my last homes. And um, the only reason I didn't do it in the other one is because I wasn't there long enough. I will say that hanging shelves, especially in your basement, uh, is the jam. So much better than freestand shelves because you can sweep under you can sweep under them. And if your basement floods, like it's fine. Yep. It's yep. The, it's the best. So I I don't think there's anything stopping me from like doing things a little bit differently and just doing that from now on. I'll probably buy threaded rod in longer sections, maybe like 10 feet. Um, and that way I can save a little money and have more. It's just, it's just not moving. That's all. I think I'm, I think I'm done moving for a little bit. I know I said that a bunch of times before, if you've been listening to the you show, said that to the last two moves you've done so on the show. In, in the last um, f- 24 months. So Sloan, uh, Sloan is now two years and two months or three months old. She's had four addresses. It's a lot. It's a lot. So, uh, but like interest rates on houses are really high right now. I, I don't even think we would move if we wanted to. Well, they're not really high in the grand scheme of things, but they're definitely higher than you want them to be compared to a year ago. So, yeah, my my dad was telling me a story about how his first. Now we're now we're getting to homeowner talk. We should change the name of the podcast. <laughs> um, his first mortgage that he got was, I think, an eleven percent mortgage. Good um, grief! How do and you this pay- was in ni- This is in nineteen eighty. Well, this is the other the other thing is back then, like this is in nineteen eighty. One or no, this is this would be 79. Um, and uh, you he built the house, house for 40 grand. Well, he, he bought the lot for like 12 grand or something like that. Um, and then he was like, I'm gonna take out, I think he, I think he said he took out 70,000 and then he didn't use it all. Um, and he built it all over the course of like a year, like mostly himself, brought in subs and stuff, but um. And it was like a night, it was a nice house in the neighborhood, right? It was, you know, it wasn't huge, but decent house. And the mortgage, uh, he, they lived there until 86 or 85. So they're like six years. And the mortgage, uh, the cool thing about the mortgage was it's, it was assumable. So what that meant was um, when, he went to, when he went to sell it, interest rates were, I think, like 15%. Um, but the people that bought it assumed his mortgage and added on to it. Um, and I think it was assumable and you had to split the difference between the, 
the interest that it was and the interest that it would be if they bought a new mortgage, right? Okay. So like these people were stoked to get like I think they got like a twelve percent instead of fifteen percent or something like that. It was Good insane. Grief. Insane. I wouldn't buy anything at twelve percent interest. It's just what it was in like the mid early eighties. It was like a mess. It was terrible. Well, I mean, I know yeah. that um, low interest rates have caused uh, not just like home inflation, but like the just, size yeah, of homes oh, is proportionately larger, right? Like the the places that people live today and houses that are built today are not the size you would build if everybody had a 15% interest rate. Yeah, back in the 70s and 80s, they were building you know, 12 by 12 bedrooms with one little closet, maybe. And now a bedroom has an ensuite and a vaulted ceiling. And that's like the kid's bed. That's like the nursery. Yeah. Right. You know, and, and you gotta have three living rooms and a finished basement and a walkout deck and swimming pool. Otherwise you're slumming it. So, but that all comes at the cost of your $600,000 mortgage. Yeah. And your two Teslas that you pay a thousand bucks a month for. Only a thousand. I saw, um, so I have, uh, an account at Navy federal, which is not USAA, but it's like another, uh, DOD, uh, government military contractor type bank. Um, they are now doing 96 month loans on new vehicles. Can you imagine? And like the rate sucks, but it's not that bad. Hold on. Is it like 6% or? Uh, it's probably like a little bit less than that. And that's the only way. How do you buy, unless you're putting like $50,000 down, how do you buy a brand new diesel quad cab dually? I don't know, that dude. Costs, that costs $80,000. <laughs> uh, okay, it is more. For a 96 month, it's 6.59. It's not that bad. It's not that good. It's not good. No. That was my first loan on my house was 6% and we were doing good. We thought that was great. And we got it down to 2% about five years ago, six years ago. I remember uh, our first residence that we bought was in Chicago and we bought a place, an apartment in 2009 after we thought that the market had tanked. Um, Yeah. But the market tanked some more. A, yeah. lot, a lot more in this case. And in uh, interesting was the bank through which we got our mortgage uh, was local in Chicago and had been around forever. And it went under uh, during the, the financial collapse in 2008 or nine. And that, that doesn't mean you don't have to pay your loans anymore, but <laughs> it, it got really complicated because it was showing up as a, um, as a loan on my credit report but like they weren't a bank anymore. And so I had to like, what happened with that? uh, I had to appeal to the the credit bureaus to say like, Hey, this loan's been paid off and this isn't a bank anymore. That's so weird. Yeah. So like they didn't even, they didn't even bother to like finish all of their business. They just sold the loans to somebody else and disappeared. Yeah, basically. Yeah. That's gross. What a weird time. Yeah. We bought our house. Right about then, 2009, and uh, the market was pretty bad. They were asking like 200 for our house, and we lowballed them, got it for 150, and uh, probably could have got it for 140. (laughs) But yeah, it was uh, we scraped together a ton of money, but it was it didn't it definitely didn't go up in value for the next like two three years. Yeah, 
so I'm looking it, it, at uh, auto loan rates going down. for Navy Federal. No. Um, five-year loan, 60 months on a new vehicle is 3.49, which might be some of the best rates that you're going to see here at the beginning of September. That's uh, I'm, do you remember when they were like zero uh, point nine for buying through the dealers? I don't yeah, think you get those uh, anymore. The, right? the Odyssey is zero point nine right now. That's ridiculous and cheap. Ashley's loan is so cheap; it'll probably I be think paid my, off in like a month. My my dad's uh, twenty eighteen Passat. Um, I think it was a zero point one. It was like almost free money. I forget. But they were offering 0% loans on some stuff. Uh, yeah. Generally, I, I there, was a loan. it's been my experience that if a car is one that people want to buy, they will not yeah. subsidize the interest. No, no. I'm surprised you got 0.9 on an Odyssey. That's like a pretty hot item. Um, it was during the pandemic. Yeah. So it was right before car, car prices went insane. Yeah, just before then. It was like yep. when every dealer was offering 0% for 72. Yeah, I think you bought it right about the time we bought our Lexus, our 2015. It's got 40,000 miles on it already, man. And you, yeah, you bought that uh, You bought that right. Yeah. I told, I told you about what my brother paid for his, like, 2015 Odyssey, and you were like, what? <laughs> like, they're, no, they're so expensive now. Dude. Yeah, you... You're probably up on money on that thing. Did you right see now. that the uh, the GR Corolla pricing got released today? No. What do they go for? Uh, the base model is like thirty five grand. Jeez, that's a lot. Kind of want one of those. The Circuit Edition is forty two, and the Circuit Maritzo Special Edition is forty nine. Can you imagine paying fifty thousand bucks for a little tiny Japanese import with three cylinders? <laughs> I mean, I bet insane. it's cool. Oh, yeah, I'm sure it's insane. It's going to be so fun to drive. But a three-cylinder all-wheel drive Corolla for 50000 bucks is insane. That's it, insane. It is. That's so much money. Um, I, uh, I think this is going to get some hate, but I more recently I have come to appreciate that in almost every circumstance, the all-wheel drive in an Evo or a Subaru um, – does little but add complexity and cost. Oh, yeah, and weight. So, like, um, King of the Mountain this year, Sean Krebsback won in an Evo, and right. without a question, Evos are especially fast on an autocross. Uh, but it's not like those launches are free, right? Like, you only... You're you're rolling the dice every single time you do a two step and you drop the clutch, right? So in this case, he ended up winning the event, and I'm super excited for him. But like, uh, I think I'd kind of just rather have a car that doesn't break everything. Well, but did you ever break a trans in your Evo? Um, I had broken a fourth gear. Yeah. Okay, I thought you broke something. Did you ever break anything else or no? Diff no, or transfer case? No, I didn't. Did you have TRE go through the diff and everything on I that? I did, yeah. It was, uh, this was years ago, but it was also not cheap at that time. I think I spent I, like 4000 bucks on stuff. Good grief. So I had him build a transfer case, a trans, and a diff. Good grief. That's so much money. Yeah. <laughs> Yuck. Yuck. Yeah. 
I'm going to sell all my transmissions and be done with all this crap. Yeah. Uh, I did just get another motor for my EF randomly from Blake. He was like, hey, do you want this other motor? I owe you $500 for those ITBs, but and I never paid you for them. And I'm like, oh, yeah. So I have a super high compression D15 bottom end for my uh, EF if I ever decide to go back to NA. <laughs> You're such a dork. I know. It's just so cool. Blake built it, too. Blake's the man. I love when Blake builds things. <laughs> so I think I might. It's like, a, it's like a bunch of cool bits. I might owe him money. I don't know. I haven't asked. <laughs> Maybe I owe him 500 bucks now. He listens to the podcast. Blake, text me if, you, if I owe you 500 bucks. <laughs> <laughs> You're going to get a bunch of random numbers texting you, Venmo. No, like, hey, I, I, got, I, got Blake, I got Blake's network. Come on. <laughs> Um, um, so how far past Omaha are you now? I don't know. We're at, um, uh, my marker 349, uh, I-80. So we're coming up on Lincoln probably, which I think it's solo nationals right now, isn't it? It is. Um, maybe I'll see the party off of the highway. I don't know if you can actually see the airbase. I have never been to solo nats, but it, it's a thing that I've always kind of wanted to do. I, if we... If, if I ever personally slow down or if we slow down grid life, I'm going to go to solo nets. It's a thing I want to go to. I've always wanted to go to it. Same with one lap. It's like the other thing I want to do. One lap and solo nets. Yeah. And if I ever really want to get stupid, I'll try to do SCCA runoffs, but it's just the whole season of qualifying and all that. So. Yeah. I, um, for me, if I can, if I can get a little more vacation time, the thing that I want to add to my life is one lap. It's the thing oh, I missed the a, most. Did you do it twice? Once. You only did it once. I think the, you did it twice. The person that I conned into coming with me has now done it four times. Yes. I'm, we met him where? at uh, Ireland? Uh, he came to our event in California some years ago, but did, he might he have also to come to Heartland. Well. Yeah, I remember meeting him at least once. But, um, the... The whole thing, though, it's just such a time suck, and that's the hard part for me right now because obviously I'm doing a bunch of other time suck things. Right. But so Going through some construction right now. They've got cones in, invasively placed into my lane. I'm trying to keep my tires off the rumble strips. So you're like three-eighths of the way there, it looks like? Uh, probably, something like that. we got probably eight and a half to go. And it's okay. a six. Well, it's a sixteen-hour drive from Chicago. Oh, I almost hit that cone. <laughs> so, um, you're trying to make it there, having driven like straight to it. Uh, what are you planning there, like, to do tomorrow it. morning when you get there? Um, drop off the Fraser Sports Racer. Go pick up my pickup truck, and then. Um, get as much motorsport stuff set up as I can. And then eventually when the fits get there, the two hundred fits that we got to work on, I got to, I got to put a baseline setup in those and test them um, and make them drive the same as each other. So did you bring your um, quick trick? Uh, yeah, I brought, uh, brought alignment stuff, brought random tools, brought my helmet. Um, so basically tire pressures, uh, shocks and, set a front alignment on them. I'm just going to put them at zero because it's an oval, you know. So. Oh, sure. Um, and the fits yeah. don't really have, what kind of coilovers you got on them? Fortune Auto 510s. Did you get those camera adjuster things? Uh, I don't know what they got. They got whatever Fortune could whip up ASAP for this. Oh, man, if you this, get those camera things, I want to know about them. 
Yeah, for this shoot, I I think these are direct bolt-in. Don't have to cut the top of the things. So so when I talked with Devin at Lime Rock, he said that you can get four degrees out of those adjuster things without cutting the top hat or without cutting which, the, the tower. Which is kind, kind of nuts. That's a lot real. of camber for a car that came to zero from the factory. I mean, you could always just put a smaller bolt in one of the shock tower uh, pinch bolts, but <laughs> which is kind of what I actually did on my car. I put a camber bolt, uh, and uh, and the camber bolt was just a 17 mil head instead of a 19 mil head bolt. So. Gotcha. Just uh, just knock that thing in and crank it down as tight as I could. <laughs> and then hope it doesn't slip. Yeah, it didn't slip so far. I only got like a degree and a half out of that, but I'm just still on stock uh, struts on my car. And before Heartland, I got a I do a bunch of work with my car before Heartland. So Ashley's Mike. last day at her job is Thursday, I think. Um, yeah. And so before I forget, I have to talk a bunch of sh- a bunch of shit about uh, Jimmy Rauch and uh, and uh, Jason Tipple. That I I'm going to beat them on Heartland in Sunday Cup. Oh, I hope um, that you do. So, yes, that's that's the we're now arch rivals. I don't know if you know that. Um, me and Jason Tipple were enemies. We're probably going to fight. It's going to be it's going to be great. I can't wait. So. I'm looking forward to it. Anyway, so Ashley's quitting her job. Uh, she's, she's changing, quit. she's changing jobs, but still doing the same thing, kind of. Yeah, well, she's like going to be between jobs for a little bit, I think. Um, but uh, so I think she wants to come to Heartland, and we're looking at um, renting travel trailers, and right. it looks hard. So I'm going to have to talk with Trisha to see if if they're doing anything for the event, and if they are, right. like hard cost wise or well like they're uh the ones that we've seen are uh, many miles away oh really yeah nobody uh, nobody super local i i didn't see any but okay. i haven't looked super close but uh, i think last year we had a few hotels we had a bunch of people camping and that was it but um or or look at like a cruise america or something see if we can find something local i know those aren't cheap though yeah, but we'll see. You could you could always crash in my uh, in my uh, in my uh, trailer. Yeah, <laughs> you and your family. My whole family. <laughs> yeah, I think you probably hate that. But... Uh, it's a nice time. It's a nice timing tower. You could just crash up there. It is a really nice timing tower. It's like really. It's nice. like the. It, yeah, it's this timing tower that they built, and then like they built it for the days when you had to have like fifty people doing timing. Because um, there's so much room, and now you don't need it. And you're like, why did they build this room? There's 40 office chairs up here. Yeah. Pretty cool. I kind of dig it. Um, do you know it's this like year? Three levels. Uh, are we going to have the ability to do drag racing? Is that on the schedule? Yeah, we're uh, Chris and I and Trisha are emailing with Devon about it. Um, we're just trying to figure out what. I think it's probably going to be an open test and tune day. Um, and they said they usually get like 50 to 80 cars in a test and tune, which should be pretty fun. Um, yeah, let's throw a, throw an evening drag racing party. So. That sounds fun. Yeah. Last year they, they were supposed to do it. And then the, like some mice got into the, like into the, into some wiring. They couldn't like work the timing lights. It's pretty annoying. Yeah. Adam, we almost sent Adam Nielsen over there to fix it. He could have fixed it. Adam Nielsen can fix anything if it involves a wire. Yeah, if you've got a wire stripper and a coax cutter and a chopper chopper. 
I did see, uh, I, I, I got seen by uh, Robert Verhout today, 10 Tents fame. Oh. Yeah. He, uh, he, he, messaged, uh, he messaged me that he had just seen me, and why was I towing the sports racer? <laughs> <laughs> um, he's racing GLTC, I think, this weekend. Yeah, he's, they're leaving, I think, tomorrow or Thursday. So. Speaking of, uh, who's running our dyno this weekend? Uh, Josh Fettis. Okay, awesome. Yeah, him and his wife are coming out. So something that has been um, going one way or the other, uh, different events do things differently, and I think that we're horribly inconsistent, uh, and I'm mostly to blame. What is your opinion on letting the drivers know um, the details of their compliance runs? Um, I think, so if we send them to impound, which is what you're talking about. Yes. I, th- I think we don't need to tell them the details anymore. Okay. Well, a, a problem is many drivers will stand right next to the computer the whole time. Yeah, so you tell them to go away. Hey, go away. Yeah. So, yeah, it's, it's not officially a rule this year, and so it has been inconsistently imposed. I did update. I updated a bunch of stuff after Midwest, um, just like procedural stuff for dinos yep. for impound. I don't remember if I talked about that or not, but if I didn't, we'll probably, I mean, I, it, I, I think we reserve the right to let them know the details or show them graphs, but mainly we have to tell them pass fail. Yep. So uh, if I remember when I talked with Renee, she'd indicated that if they fail, it doesn't feel very good to not tell them how to comply. So yeah, that is a good reason for telling them what they need to do. The question but I think is, we, if they we still pass, probably leave it up to us. Yeah. If they pass, what do we what do we need to say? You you pass. Tell them they, tell them they pass. Yeah. Tell them they pass. Get the fuck out. <laughs> Hurry up. Get out of here, nerd. <laughs> yeah. Rude. I, I don't I don't know exactly where we're gonna have the dyno at this one, but it's probably gonna be near the tunnel. Um, the whole place is sort of like spectator land, but yeah, I'm not actually sure what'll be best. But there aren't there aren't any spectator cars inside the bowl, are there? No, but, no. So- but if some if somebody wants to do it, um, we could. The plan is to have like paddock passes, like the hanging window tags. Yep. Um, hand them a paddock pass. They pull the car in. You pull the paddock pass back out, and then you send them out after they're done. So. Any bets on whether the dyno operators will have a stack of paddock passes? Uh, I mean, it's part of my plan for that. So, do and like, kinda... but that that necessarily means that they had to have been printed already. No, we'll we'll have paddock passes. Yeah. Okay. I mean, they really only need a couple of them. They don't need like a stack of them. They oh. Just take it once the car comes back. They take the paddock pass out, so that the makes car sense. doesn't stay up in the paddock. That makes sense. It's going to like we might actually be to the point where we have cars that are operating in, on the racetrack that are parked outside the oval. That's how full this thing might be. That's wild. I'm, I'm nervous about it. I don't want to do that, but it's hard to tell. This place is, I mean, we are bringing the parking team in, the FSG parking team, though, that um, is really good. The FSG so, parking team. I don't know anything about them. Festival support group, the people who did all the garbage cleanup at Midwest, and they laid out all the paddock lines and helped with parking for everybody. Oh, um, I see. So they're pretty good at parking, so we'll have a little bit of manpower. We'll have some more organization skill. Uh, but, uh, yeah, we'll see. 
you know, it's 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 such a job on Thursday night to park all these cars. Kind of a nightmare, actually. So I'm actually looking at C tickets right now. Um, how much last year, like what fraction of our ticket sales came last minute as like walk ups or like the week of? Probably about a quarter, and that's about where we're at right now. Hopefully, twenty five to thirty percent more come. We'll be pretty close. Sick. Right now we're in the we're losing money. Everybody better show up, which is usually where we're at before a festival. Yeah, it's classic festival. Yeah, I'm getting sick of these big dice rolls. <laughs> Scary. Oh well. Yeah. Super. At least at least our side, the motorsport side, is nicely sold out. So. Yeah, we're <laughs> we're doing our part. Yeah, we're we're trying real hard. Um. So. Anyway, so we're into this for an hour and six, and it's late. That's almost that's almost like half of a ten ten podcast. Oh my god, I don't know what those guys have that much to talk about. Well, the last one they talked about super hot beef jerky, and I think uh, Robbie burned his face. And then they definitely talked some shit about us, like they always do, um, about how our podcast like six minutes long, and uh, what a bunch of dickheads. <laughs> <laughs> Do you think that at this point it's just a giant inside joke where we record to make fun of them and they record only to make fun of us? Yeah, I and, think we. And if we, we didn't record anything and we just talked to each other, we'd still have the same conversation. Yeah, probably. <laughs> That's pretty much it. <laughs> I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna really try. Are you, are you bringing uh, uh, even like a Zoom and a couple of microphones? I will bring my stuff. Yeah. I, I literally forgot my stuff. So I really want to try to get uh, get one of those dudes on the show this weekend. Uh, I want to record at least three shows this weekend. So I, we, I mean, we're just going to yeah. have to try. The hardest thing is after doing it. the grid goes cold uh, late after drift, the thing yep. you want to do the least is record. No, it, it's it, we have to like literally do it during like – we have to do them in the morning or lunch break. <laughs> oh, that's a good idea. Yeah. Because um, there is uh, a lot of time in the morning. I do want to get Kevin Burke on. I talked to him about it. Um, he, he's always been fun to talk to. And uh, he'll be there in person driving a, driving a Sunday Cup car. So. Sick. Yep. So he uh, he might be the car, he might be the guy to beat in Sunday Cup this weekend because he's real fast. So. I don't know if Matt Williams is coming or not. So he is, he is not. Well, he's already locked up a championship. So yeah, I think he is the, the championist grid life for. Did, did you, did you ever check that or no? Uh, in terms of championships, I'm quite confident that uh, no one has won more than one. And I know Matt Williams has won several. Well, I'm talking about weekends also, like how many weekends has he won? He's probably, He's probably won three quarters of the Sunday Cup weekends. Probably of, but remember though, he spent an entire year winning a championship in Club TR. Did he win a Club TR championship? He yeah, did. he no. won. He won in that uh, uh, FC. I thought. Right, he won a weekend. I don't think he won a championship. Are you sure? No, but I know he won a weekend. He won Midwest Festival last year. I'm going to look this up because I have. All I don't the data. think he. I don't think he won a championship ever though. Uh, maybe I'm wrong. So wasn't last year the first year for Club TR? I don't remember. Yeah, I think it was. So who won last year? Uh, uh, ben, Gears and Gasoline. Uh, Gears and Gasoline. All right. So 
Club TR. Oh, you're yeah, right. Last, you're right. Yeah, last, only last year was the first. Um, Matt Williams did not win Club TR last year. Uh, he only did three events. Yeah, he won Midwest Festival, I think. And before that, that car was either a street mod or a street class car. I can't remember. Yeah. I think it was a street class car. It was an OEM turbo. The little Hitachi turbo that, like, you could still make, like, 300 of the wheels with those things, but, like, only for, like, half a lap. Yeah. <laughs> Good yeah. grief. Josh Halka did but, so many events last year. Yeah, he did. I haven't seen him in a while. Six, seven events last year. That was insane. Uh, championship this year is super, super tight. Um, at least in one class in, uh, in street GT, it's good competition between Cody hunt and Luca. Yep. And aren't we, don't we have like almost a three-way tie in club TR? Let me look. Uh, I know Grant, uh, Grant and Ben are real close and Dana's real close there. I don't even know. I don't even know. I know Grant's winning, but so yeah, it's super, super tight. Grant, Dana, and Ben Thorne are all... Uh, Grant has 400 points, so the, the championship is out of... It's best of four. So he's got four wins and a 99. Yeah. Um, Dana has 389 points, so he has two wins, a 99 and a 90. Uh, and... Ben Thorne has 380 points. One win, a 95, a 97, and an 88. Grant might have it. Yeah. Unless somebody ties him, which uh, uh, theoretically they could tie. Yeah, they they could tie. Um, Street GT, depending on who shows up for the remaining two events, uh, given our rule set, it is possible to achieve a complete and total tie. Yeah. And so uh, that's weird. Yeah. We should probably rethink those rules. Who made those rules? It's probably me. I think it was you. <laughs> but I will also say that those rules for tiebreakers haven't been touched in like five years. We've never no, had a championship be that close before. That stuff's old. What are our tiebreaker rules right now? I don't even remember. Uh, most wins, yeah. then most podiums, then uh, most events attended, I think. Okay. So uh, in Street GT, the scenario is um, Jacob Hunt has 500 points on a 400 scale. So he's got five wins. Wait, Cody Hunt or Jacob Hunt? Uh, same guy, Cody. Um, Steve Luca. Is his name really Jacob? I didn't know that. That's how it was registered. So Steve has 398 points with five events attended. He's got three wins or at least, uh, three 100 point scores and two 98 scores. Now, uh, in this case at two events, Cody and Steve both scored 100 points, which means that they were separated by less than five hundredths of a second. Yep. I think it was them that was like over three or four events. If you added up all their times, it was less than a tenth of a second. 
like difference. They're so close. Yeah. And I know that, uh, Cody kind of went back and forth with us. He, um, about like, uh, points and I will, uh, go back and double check because even if two drivers have scored the same number of points, um, at any one event, there is a winner and there is a second place. And so, uh, the tie may not be so clear, uh, as what I originally thought it's possible, um, that, uh, Cody will win even if Steve goes to two events. I don't know. Yeah. Be, they'd have to literally tie down to the thousandth of a second in order to tie an event. Yep. And so and nobody's done that. I think, uh, so Steve has the possibility of going to Heartland and to PPIR. I don't know yeah. if he's going to either of them, but if he, he is does, going to PPIR, I guess, <clears throat> If he goes to both, he could conceivably have the same number of wins, I think. Yeah. And then it would be you and me digging through the weeds to figure out who wins. Uh huh. That's fine. Yeah. Time for some more coffee. Yeah. Uh, it's midnight here. I think I'm going to reply to that email, dude, tomorrow. Oh, um, man. All right. Well, don't forget. I won't forget. This guy's very important. <laughs> yeah, we uh, we had a long discussion before we recorded about a certain email. What a nerd. Yeah. Uh, Happens. It's really, really strangely worded email. <laughs> well, it's, it's uh, written um, in a way that would imply that they know everything and we know nothing. Well... But also, like, would imply that the entire driver's, like, info page should be just the, it should be this, like, the details of the driver's meeting. Um, so you don't have to go to the driver's meeting, which is very strange. Well, it's, hey, whatever. it, it, uh, did I ever tell you about that guy um, who once told me that I should let him do my job at Grid Life events because he could yes. do a better job than me? Yes. Now, I don't know if that's true or not. It's possible that he could do a better job than me. What I do know is that he had never been to a grid life event before. Yes. And I don't so, even remember who the guy was. I don't remember either. Yeah, he was like a he was like a, an armchair quarterback on the internet for like six months. And so and then such she a, showed up to one. It's such a strange thing to say to somebody where like you don't know them. Uh you don't go to their events and you like, what do you have to be thinking as a person to say like, no, I'm quite confident I could do a better job and I'm going to tell you. Yeah. You got to be a fucking asshole. <laughs> like when, when you told me that he said that, I forget who this dude even was. But when you told me that he said that, I was like, what an idiot. <laughs> yeah. Now it's debatable if he could do a better job. He probably could, but I mean, maybe he could. But also, this isn't like like you're putting a lot of hours into this, and this is not paying your bills. Correct. So, yeah. Um. But like on on top of that, it's uh it's complicated, right? And there is nobody, context yeah, and stuff, and nobody 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 ever thinks that there is uh, a rules called it. That uh, that they could have ever screwed up, or that or they could have ever looked at both sides of. But all these things are incredibly complicated. Yeah. Um, and 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 then 
big picture, like we have to make a rule set that people want to build cars for and want to come uh, spend a bunch of money a weekend hanging out with us uh, and racing at our events. These, these have to be attractive events in order to pay the bills because they are incredibly expensive to produce. <laughs> well, they're incredible to produce and they're, they're, excuse me, they're expensive to produce and they're expensive to attend, right? Like they're, yeah, it's so racing is hard. So they there have to really want to do it. There are easier ways to spend money. And so yeah, it like needs to be a thing that uh, people just want to be here. And also the parody has to be good enough to give you a reason to come. So. Yeah. Anyway. All right. Well, we're into this thing for an hour and a half. It's almost a, almost a 10 minutes podcast. So oh, geez. Don't, uh, don't get me started. All right. Uh, thanks, everybody, for listening. Uh, we look forward to seeing you all at PPIR. If you see us in the grid, come say hello. Richard, yeah, if um, you are listening to this podcast, which I hope you are, someday we will redo the exit uh, voiceover. I mean, he, he can redo it anytime he wants. He did that from England, I think. He did. Um, he did, yeah. I don't know that the show is any more co-hosted by Derek Yarbrough. Derek's, Derek's into motorcycles now. Derek's out of cars completely. He's almost having a baby, though. He's going to have a baby any day. Man, congratulations yeah. on the baby. Yeah. yeah, his wife looks great pregnant, if I do say so myself. Well, <laughs> very good. Um, thanks, everybody. He, 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 he did buy an RV, though. Derek bought an RV. Did I did that? not know that. Yeah, he bought a trailer, like a dope little uh, like uh, toy hauler trailer, a small one. So. Cool. Yeah, he's living his best life. I should, I should, uh, we should call him up. Probably should. Yeah. We should probably call Austin too. I really enjoyed that show we did with him at AMP. Yeah, we should do a lot of things. Yeah. After the that, event, that show at AMP, that, that show at AMP with uh, Patrick was super fun too. I really enjoyed it. Yeah, that was a good one. All right, talk to you later, buddy. <laughs> All right, man. See you. Slip Angle was created by Austin Cabot and Adam Jubay, co-hosted by Derek Yarbrough and production by Abram Schmucker, who mixes all of our terrible audio. If you like the show, please rate us and review us on iTunes and come and find us in the pits at a grid like to say hello. Hello.